What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a sports ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Those are the two accounts I want you guys to be following, specifically EthosFantasyBB as we head into the offseason and bring on more of you guys to produce content through that uh, page. That's where it will be posted out from. So please do go give us a follow there. Very special Friday edition as we start to look back on the season as a whole. I know we've still got a few games, but there's nothing going to be changing too much in terms of stats or anything like that. A guy has performed how he's going to perform this season for the most part, and we're going to start to look back on it. And I want to start that by bringing on a very special first-timer to the show, someone I've talked with a little bit over on Twitter. He's got some very exciting stuff going on himself right now that he will introduce you to. You can find him on Twitter, at Torres Takes. Torres, how we doing, man? What's going on, Joe? Thank you so much for for having me on. Excited uh, to chat with you tonight. And uh, yeah, man, I got to be honest, I'm kind of crawling to the finish line. You know, like it's this last week. I Now, I love fantasy baseball. Don't get me wrong. But like this last week, I'm kind of like I want it to be over already. You know, it's been it's a grind. I mean, let's be honest. The season is a grind. And I've got several teams that are like just... um, you know, like every, every at bat still matters, right? Like every pitch still matters. And I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore, but, uh, <laughs> so I'm ready to be over, but it, it overall, it's been a, you know, a fun season and, uh, you know, I already started in some of that 2023 prep. I'm one of those sickos that's, uh, already thinking ahead like that. So, but yeah, it, uh, looking forward to spending some time with you here and kind of going over, you know, this last season and, uh, you know, a little bit, touch on a little bit of uh, prep for next year. But thank you so much for having me on. Oh, no, I've been meaning to for a while. I'm glad we finally got the chance here. I am, I wouldn't say struggling to get to the finish line, but there's definitely, like you said, I'm ready to take a little bit of a breather from baseball. This this show will still go on during the off season, but I think it'll be a little bit easier uh, just for a little while anyway, just to take a look back. Don't have to keep track of, you know, streaming pitchers and guys mm-hmm. to pick up and all that stuff, but just more of a retro look on how guys did, how did we do in our drafts? How have your teams done this year? Are you looking like you're going to, you know, would you classify it as a success as a whole, or what would you say in terms of the season here? Yeah, I mean, the season overall, I'd say, has been good. Uh, Not great. Um, You know, I had pretty high expectations coming into this year. Uh, You know, I I, uh, played in my first main event last year and finished top 50 overall, and I'm like, all right, this was my, like, you know, now I, I learned some lessons and I'm ready to go into this year. And, you know, the goal was for me to finish like, you know, honestly, maybe I'm being greedy here, but I was like, I got to finish top 10. And, uh, you know, the, the season, as far as that specific league, which is, you know, my most expensive league and I consider my most important league, um, has gone okay. I, my team is in second in my league. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it's like 125 overall last time I checked out of 750 teams. So, you know, I, I'm not going to, again, like overlook that, but, um, you know, I, I was planning on doing a little bit better. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that kind of haven't worked out for me. Um, I'm also in a few draft champions leagues, which are those 50 round draft and hold leagues. Um, you know, I'm in a, a 12 team CBS league and a couple second places in there. It doesn't look like I'm going to take down any, uh, any championships this year, which again, you know, is like, all right. Um, you know, thought I could do a little bit better this year, but overall, man, you know, like, here's the deal. Like, we didn't even know if we were going to have a year, <laughs> you know, right? So like, 
the fact that we, you know, we had this baseball season, so many great things happened and, you know, got to enjoy this fantasy season. I'm grateful for and, and grateful for, you know, even if it wasn't up to my expectations, just grateful that we had it. Oh, we've seen these milestones. I forget who it was. Who was I think a few tweets have been sent out over the last couple of weeks, just, you know, recapping with Cabrera and Pujols and those two specifically. And then, of course, Aaron Judge. I was actually at the game last night with Aaron Judge. I uh, heard that. Home, That's awesome. That home run. Yeah, I was able to get some tickets last minute for myself and my dad. 500s, which was kind of... That's where you were sitting if you wanted to go by that point when I was taking a look. But right behind home play, we got a great view of it. It, it was it was crazy to actually be there and just look at, you know, this record has only been broken twice in the last 95 years. Uh, when Maris broke it, it, before that it had stood from Babe Ruth and now Aaron Judge again. So, yeah, we didn't know we were going to get any of this stuff heading into the season. I was kind of holding my breath for, you know, a 120-game season or something, hundred. Yep. You know, whatever they were going to do to abbreviate it just to try and squeeze in games we saw a couple of years ago. 60 games, they'll take what they can get. I thought we might get something similar, but it's great we've had an entire season here. Before we really kick it off, what are your thoughts on the whole Judge, Maris, Bonds, and all the crap? What, what do you, where do you stand on it? You're, you're a Yankee guy, right? So where do you stand on yeah, it? Yeah, I had to get off Twitter today because I'm just <laughs> so tired of it. Like, everybody's got to put their hot take out there. and. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, like, I see both sides. You know, I, I can understand those are like, hey, Bonds, he did it. Like, that's the number. That's what he's got to get to. Um, you know, but I also understand the viewpoint that the other guys, we, we know that they had help. Um, so I'm honestly, even though I'm a Yankee fan and, you know, Judge is one of my guys, it's like, I don't know. I'm just enjoying it, to be honest with you. Like, it's just awesome. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm trying not to get, I, I'm tired of it already. You know, like I was already, we had the Otani versus Judge MVP debate that was like dominating Twitter for a while, right? And it was like, oh God, I can't. Like, it's just, it's too much. Um, so yeah, that's it. Just, I, I would encourage people, like, first of all, it's not worth your time. Like, who cares? <laughs> In the end of the day, like, who cares? You know, if you enjoy baseball and, you know, you enjoy seeing what Aaron Judge is doing. Just leave it at that. It's okay. Like, you know, um, not not worth getting all worked up about. Uh, but I don't know. What what are your thoughts on it? I would agree that, you know, uh, well, first of all, I hate that people feel like they need to put down the person that they're not going to be siding with in whatever argument right. it is. Oh, it's got to be Otani. Judge is, he just doesn't do this. Or it's got to be Judge Otani is on a shit team or whatever you know, you don't need to put down any of these guys. I mean, if you want to put down some of the steroid era sluggers because you don't think that that was legitimate, then I can totally hear you there. I think that there's obviously, you know, you look at Barry Bonds in the late 80s, early 90s, and you look at him in 2000, around that era, the dude like tripled in size. There was clearly some help going on there. He was obviously an incredible hitter, but he has the home run record until Major League Baseball, which they're never going to do until they wipe it from the record books, right. it's going to be the record. If you want yep. to, in your head, think that it's Judge, uh, I am, I'm not going to be, you know, so critical of people who want to think that because, and I know people are saying, well, Judge is probably using steroids or something like that. Like, this guy's probably getting a test this this season, like twice a week, three times a week. I'm sure that they're not exactly, you know, letting months go by without testing Judge in this kind of season. So in terms of that argument, Judge is probably juiced. I would be very surprised if Judge is juiced. I think that this is probably just an amazing season for him, and it should be viewed in that context. I don't think we need to necessarily break it down historically and say 
this is the best offensive season ever or whatever and put down that that's my main point is that we don't need to put down the other great seasons that we have seen in the past just to prop up our argument and judge and Otani specifically they're just having such great seasons even at this point if they wanted to give Otani the MVP you'd have a hard time arguing against the numbers as great as judge has been so I think that it's just we should just enjoy this era of greatness, really, and it'll do wonders for baseball uh, down the stretch, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, and and this idea of, like, putting down, like, other players, but, like, I also think we need to extend that to, like, other people that don't share your viewpoint, yeah. right? And I, I know that's stupid. That, that's, like, a crazy idea because it's Twitter, <laughs> right? It's social media, so that's, like, not what you do, but yeah. it's, like, all right, man, you don't need to be – we get it, like – you're so smart that, you know, you think that Barry Bonds is the record. Fine. Like, great. You don't have to tell us <laughs> every, every day. Like, it, it's okay. You don't got to be, a, a, you know, snarky about it. So exactly. Um, yeah, I, I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm just hoping he breaks it this weekend at home. I think it would be cool. It'd be exciting for the fans. Um, you know, I was there last week and I was waiting for 61. I was sitting in the, the left field bleachers with my glove and I'm like, you know, just hoping to uh, get a shot at. That was the game where he hit it to dead center, that that one that was, like, almost out. Do you remember that last the, Thursday? The, the camera made it look like it went 600 yeah, feet. Yeah, right. I saw the replay afterward. I'm like, oh, my God. I would have, like, been so pissed if I was watching it at home. But, uh, yeah, so um, just uh, it, this is it's awesome. It's just awesome to see. I got to ask you, though, this guy, Frankie Lasagna. Um, <laughs> did you see the whole thing? I mean, uh Apparently, so the guy who was closest to the ball, some other guy who didn't talk to the media, the other guy I think is just popular because his name is Frank Lasagna, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know, man. Like, how would you cope with that if if that was you? If you had a chance at that ball and you missed it, what would that be like for you? Uh, it would be alcohol is how I would cope with right. that. Right. Oh, my <laughs> God. I can't imagine. You know, when I was at the game last week, I brought my glove and I'm like, you know, this is the way my mind works. I'm just like an anxious dude. <laughs> and I'm always thinking about like the worst case scenario. And I'm like, I don't even know if I want to bring my glove because if the ball comes to me and I miss it, like yeah. that is like going to replay on TV forever, you know? And like, that's exactly what happened to that guy last night. I feel terrible for him. Like that's, it wasn't an easy cat. So, you know, let's no, it wasn't a gimme. He had to reach yeah. for it. Right. And I mean, you got to ask yourself, I've seen people asking this too. Is it worth it to, Jump in, break your legs, grab that ball. I feel like security would just take the ball from you anyway at that point. <laughs> yeah. And people getting mad at the at the Blue Jays bullpen coach who gave the ball back. I was talking with my dad and a couple of people on Twitter today. I don't think that the ball would have been his property. He's working in an official capacity right, right. for the stadium. It's the stadium's. If it goes to a fan, then it's all bets are off. But I think that he would have had to give that ball back because I saw his wife was a. Some, some kind of reporter for Fox right. or something, and she was joking online, or maybe joking, I don't know, that, that that's the marriage right there. Marriage done, $2 million <laughs> given away. So I don't know that he would even have had the right to that ball, but it's just very funny that these things happen in Toronto. Miguel Cabrera's 500th home run happened in Toronto. And oh, it did it? Like, okay. Seems like we're always uh, the butt end of these uh, of these occasions. But I guess I'll take uh, the American press focusing in on us somehow. Anyway, it's not like we're going to get any Sunday night baseball game. So we'll, we'll take the coverage here uh, whenever we can. Yeah. Well, you guys, you know, like you guys up in Toronto, you got some good fans. Like you, you know, like you really, it's going to be fun, you know, um, you know, just seeing like th that team and hopefully postseason, right? I mean, are there. They clinched today, yeah. They clinched today, so but the Orioles um, lost, yeah. Yeah, so it, it'll be cool. I know, like those those crowds get crazy up there, and uh, 
you know, it seems like fantasy too, and we'll transition to fantasy in a sec for anybody who's listening. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, it seems like there's a, a big contingent of fantasy baseball players from Canada. Uh, I don't know if that's just like a small sit, like they're just more visible on Twitter. Uh, but what is your experience like? Is is fantasy baseball kind of more of a thing up there? Um, in my friend group, there's a few guys who are really into it. Now, getting into the industry this year, I've realized how much stuff there is. And I start mentioning, you know, CSW and different things. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, they're not so deeply entrenched in it. Like, right. like we are like, are like some of the people in the, on, in the Twitter verse and podcast sphere and whatever. Um, but I think in terms of just Canada, I don't know what it is exactly, but you're right. There are a lot of great players from Rob Silver, Phil Dessault. Uh, Zach Waxman, who I actually don't really know, but I see his name thrown all over the place. Uh, Frank Amarante is another Canadian yeah. guy. I'm probably going to miss a bunch of them, but there are so many people from Toronto who are doing this, and it's just, I don't know. I can't really explain it. I, I, I don't know why it's more so Toronto than than Omaha or than you know San Diego or anywhere else. It's it's kind of cool, though. I got to say, it is really cool to see uh, Canada on the fantasy map here. I think Phil Dassault is more the... I mean, him or Rob Silver, I guess, would be at the top yeah. of the, like the high stakes world. Probably Phil more recently, but they're mm. but in Canada on the map, and you got to pat him on the back for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's very cool. Like, you know, when I heard you were from Canada as well, I'm like, what is with these Canadians? Like, they're they're like the proportion of Canadians to Americans in the fantasy baseball space is, uh, you know, a little. Um, I don't know. It, it's just interesting to see, but. Um, Anyway, I know people are waiting for fantasy stuff, so you know, let's uh let's get into it. I mean, uh, you know, I talked a little bit about my teams. I want to ask you quickly though, what are your teams looking like this year? I won a couple of my leagues. I won my home league for the first time on the last day of our championship, that Boston and New York uh, Sunday night game. I needed great starts from Cortez and Bayo, and I got them both really good outings, and then it was cut short by the rain, and I won like batting average like two forty seven to two forty six. I won ERA like 367 to 368. It was a crazy week. So I won my home league for the first time. Nice. I won, uh, I won one public league and I'm in still in one league that goes to the end of the regular season. It's like a ESPN points league that I don't even know really why I signed up for, but yeah. that one, I think it's probably going to go my way still. And then God, how many teams did I do? Nine teams, four of them, five of them kind of disappointed. Um, I do mostly head to head. So even the teams okay. that I did kind of well in. Uh, a lot of the teams that I did well in specifically in head to head did not do well in the playoffs. So kind of a mixed bag, you know, first or second in the regular season doesn't really matter so much when you go out in the first round of the playoffs. But I think I did a, a pretty decent job this year of getting my guys. I wanted a lot of Lindor. So I got a lot of Lindor. Mm. Same with Zach Allen, same with McClanahan. I had a lot of Varsho. Those guys I, I hit on. Now there was also, you know, your Alex Woods mixed in there and guys that I missed on. You say Kikuchi was a particularly horrendous miss. So there are, there are going to be instances of both, but I think I would classify it as a pretty successful year, specifically because of the home league. If I had won, if I had yeah. lost every other league and won the home league, get to see those guys going out to the bars and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> give them the little, the little L, you know, I'll, I'll, right. I'll take that any day. So not, not a bad season uh, for me. That's right. Great. Well, yeah. Congrats on that. That's awesome. Um, any thoughts are, are you going to delve into like any of the NFBC stuff yeah. next year? Do you think, or where are you at on that? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I, uh, I didn't even know about the NFBC before I got into the industry, which would have been, uh-huh. I guess, January, February. And then I started seeing people talk about the NFBC and I didn't know what it was. I started to figure it out and 
it's it's crazy how many leagues there are, how many different things. Like the whole idea of an overall component to a contest, I've never really played with that idea before. But next year, I am absolutely doing some draft champions. We're not going to do any main events. Uh, I've already joked that that would be a donation to the NFBC if I were to do a main <laughs> event next year. A couple yeah. of draft champions, a couple of NFBC 50s kind of thing. And I'll be at first pitch, so whatever. I think they're going to do a couple of leagues that they start drafting at first pitch. So I'll hopefully get into a few of those uh, next season, start to get more familiar with the with the fab format over there and everything else. And maybe in a couple of years, we'll get into the uh, to the main event once I'm more comfortable. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, and uh, trust me, I'm not affiliated with the NFBC in any way, but just for like anybody who's listening, I think people, sometimes people hear like NFBC or high stakes and they're like, oh gosh, I can't do that. But, you know, like you were saying, Joe, like there are different uh, price points. There's uh, lots of different options. So, like they have the $50 leagues. They have the $150 draft champion uh, leagues, which are, again, those draft and hold formats. Uh, the main event is an $1,800 uh, entry fee. So I know that's not feasible for everybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, just I, I encourage people to at least take a look, at, you know, maybe try one league because it, it really, for me personally, it's it's just added a lot of fun you know to this game for me you know i played in home leagues for years and you know i still i still have a home league that i play in but like right now i've transitioned mainly to nfbc and i just love uh the community that uh is involved in it and uh you know the everything about it is really well run so encourage people to to go check it out and go to nfc is the actual website nfbc is like niagara fall (laughs) <laughs> Niagara uh, falls something that I've gone to way too many times. Um, but uh, yeah, encourage people to uh, go check that out. But you were mentioned some of the guys that uh, that you did hit on this year. Uh, so you mentioned uh, Varsho, um, Lindor, which, you know, that that's like a big regret of mine. I didn't get any Lindor this year. And afterward, I'm like, I don't understand why I, I didn't go there. You know, like last year, first year in New York, and I believe in this stuff. You know, this is some of the stuff that's not, you, you can't quantify that the projections are not going to capture. But, you know, like with Lindor, last year was the first year going to New York with the big contract, uh, you know, and, and I think it's been proven out that that does have an impact on players. You know, that first year in a new city, especially when you switch leagues like that, so I'm like beating myself up still that, you know, coming into this year in his second season in New York, that I, I didn't uh, invest more heavily in him. Instead, I did the exact opposite. I took Trevor Story in the second round of my main event. And, and that's, you know, I, I, I don't know if it was the pressure of being in Boston or what, but, you know, it's just been like a really overall just tough year for him. And I, I do think that's a factor, right? Like he, he signed late too. So think about it from a human perspective, right? You're signing in whatever, March. You have to move your whole family from, I'm assuming it was like in Colorado. You're going to Boston, uh, you know, and it just like you never get a chance to catch up. And I think that carried over into the season. And that's, you know, partially why it was kind of a down year for him. The I don't know what are your thoughts on that. The injuries, too. He just couldn't yeah. stay healthy. I mean, there was a two-week span there. Like I wrote a buy low article where Trevor Story was in it one week, and then the next week or two or a week after, I'm like pulling together a sell high, and I'm like, I might have to put Trevor Story in this again, even though he was buy low like a week ago, because he was just that ridiculous. I forget the exact stretch of games, but it was like a two week span where he hit like 
six home runs, seven home runs. And oh, just yeah, went it was unbelievable. But that was really that, it, though. That was like, it, yeah. Exactly. Aside from those couple weeks, like, he was really bad the yeah. rest of the year. And then he got injured. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. I guess I'll be tempted next year. You know, I'm sure he'll be going at, at more of a discount. Um, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll be tempted to jump back in. But, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, getting back to this idea of, you know, um, or the, who we who we hit on this year. Uh, you mentioned Varsho. Um, that was another guy that I was on. I mean, I felt like you always want those catchers that aren't catching, right? right. Um, and the fact that he even chipped in some speed as well. Uh, that was one guy that I targeted, and that's worked out really well. I really went with the two-catcher approach, uh, going for elite catchers. I had a lot of JTR, uh, which wasn't looking great initially, and then he's just been amazing. Uh, these past couple months here. So like in my main event, what's really saved that team, I had a lot of misses, but getting the production from JTR and Varsho uh, at the catcher position gives you such an advantage. Um, do you play mainly one catcher leagues or are you in some two catcher leagues as well? Mostly one. I'm in a couple of two catcher leagues, but I hate, I hate the two catcher leagues. Especially, well, if it's like a 10 team, two catcher league, I can get by. But if you're in a 15 team, two catcher league, which is just standard kind of NFBC stuff at that point, right. there's not really much going on there. If you, you know, your catcher goes down, you need to pick somebody up. You're really dealing with, with the scraps. And I don't know. I'd prefer one catcher if you're in a, even if you're in a 15 team league with one catcher, mm-hmm. you're probably, I mean, at the end there, if you're leaving it to the, Catcher 14, catcher 15. It's not going to be great, but I think for the most part, you're going to be pretty all right with it. Varsho had him in a few leagues. I had some Yasmany Grandal at the beginning of the mm-hmm. year, Nightmare. Yeah. Picked up some Alejandro Kirk, but catcher as a whole feels very, very deep right now, especially with this new uh, batch of guys coming up. Adley Rutschman specifically. I really like Shane Langoliers out mm-hmm. in, uh, in Oakland. I think he's probably a year away still from having fantasy relevance, but there are a lot of great guys coming up and I forget who was, I think it was Eric Cross was talking about who he would pick or he put out a poll on Twitter about who should be the first catcher going next season. And there's not really a consensus. There are, it could be Varsho, It could be JTR. It could be Rutschman, Will Smith. It's very, very deep. And I feel like usually it's like, I guess I'll plug in whoever, you know, but next year it'll be like, okay, there's eight, 10, 12 good, solid options at catcher, mm-hmm. not just, I'm going to plug him in there because there's a spot on my roster for catcher and I need him. There's actually guys that are quality catchers and Dalton Varsho. He was a league winner and head to head big time this year. Like just looking over his last month, nine home runs, six stolen bases over his last 95 at bats, like from a catcher who's not even really a catcher. I mean, part, part time catcher. I don't know, 30 games or something he caught for me last year. It was Isaiah Kiner Falefa filling the exact same role, not actually catching, but playing Mm -hmm. catcher and just. You know, doing enough for you there where you're not, it's not a burden to actually have the catcher on the roster. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a nice time for, for backstops. Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably the deepest it's been since I've been playing fantasy baseball. Um, yeah. And if you're getting stolen bases from your catcher, that's just like, that's gold, man. Um, so, um, all right. So what about some players that, uh, have not worked out well? Uh, I'll, I'll start first. Uh, I, I feel like my list is, is longer than the ones that have worked out. Uh, Jonathan India. Oh my gosh. I, between him, I put out a poll on Twitter. Like who's been more frustrating this year? Jonathan India or Luis Ro- uh, Robert? 
Because it has just been like constantly, I'm getting these notifications. Oh, Jonathan India got scratched from the lineup. Luis Robert left the game early. You know, it's like insane. It's just been, I don't know. I, I feel like it's just bad luck. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything to take away from their seasons. I, I felt like both of them were primed. You know, they're they're in the prime of their career. They've shown great skills. Like I, I thought both of them were going to be like, you know, very early round guys. And Robert probably still will be next year. Um, you know, but the, the return on that investment this year has, has not been what I hoped. Uh, what do you, I mean, is there anything you think to take away from either of those guys this year? I think the White Sox, it's hard to really evaluate them with this Tony LaRusa lens yeah. over these last couple of seasons. And it's really baffling to me. Like I grew up admiring Tony LaRusa. I was the yeah. team I played on in my, my minor league circuit thing was called the Cardinals. We, we went by the Cardinals. I wore number five. I was a big Pujols guy. They were winning World Series when I was growing up. I admired Tony LaRusa quite a bit. And then he went away and he comes back. And even last year, the White Sox were a good team. And now this year, it's like, you know, intentional walks on one, two counts and, you know, falling asleep looking like he's just had a couple of drinks in the dugout. It, it was crazy. So it's hard for me to really look at any guy on the White Sox this season in terms of those, even those younger guys uh, and say this is necessarily what they're going to be because they were told throughout the year weird shit man like don't run out ground balls to first base and there's all kinds of stuff i mean hell you're you're co-hosting with mike carter uh you're going to hear a lot about that kind of stuff for sure about the uh, white Sox. so we don't even really <laughs> you you don't you already know this from talking with mike for sure but it's kind of hard i think to to properly evaluate those guys jonathan india I feel like it's a sophomore slump. He also missed some time with injuries. And when he's been on the field, he hasn't been terrible. Uh, I would probably give him more of a pass and, and pick him up uh, where he's going to be going next season, which will be discounted. I'm not sure exactly where Jonathan India will go, but I, I'd be willing to say, okay, uh, it wasn't a great lineup around him this year. Sophomore slump, only 370 at bats. Uh, I'd be willing to buy into India more so than Robert or Robert, however they, however he wants to call it because of, the injury troubles, uh, and because the White Sox in general, I'm just a little more iffy on them. But I, I think both of them are going to bounce back, though. I don't have I don't have any real long term reservations about rostering either of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's been tough. Um, you know, another thing that was really tough for me this year was finding saves. You know, yeah. uh, just an absolute nightmare. You know, I'm not really uh, an early saves guy. You know, I wasn't drafting Hader or Hendricks in the first couple of rounds, which is where he was going in some of these uh, these high stakes leagues. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I still don't know what the right answer is. And I'm if if I go through this again next year, I'm, maybe I'll just, you know, uh, I, I'll take a different approach. Uh, but this year, so I, I did get Gregory Soto in a few places, which worked out pretty well. I, I definitely can't complain about that. I think he has like 29 saves, uh, you know, so and, and part of the reason I was in on him, my my sweet spot is to find like these middle round guys that I know at least have the role to begin the year. You know, my approach in these fab leagues where I can make moves is, all right, give me a guy who at least will get me some saves out of the gate and then I can adjust as we go. Um, you know, my adjustments this year didn't really work out though. Like I had Andrew Kittridge. I, I draft, I probably drafted him, uh, well ahead of his ADP. Cause I, I really, I didn't think he was going to get like, you know, we know the raves or the Rays are going to use a committee. Uh, but I felt that they play, they were a good enough team and they play in enough close games that even if he got like 70%, I'm still probably getting like 25 saves with good yeah. ratios. 
he got injured. So I don't know. Maybe that again was, was bad luck. Um, and then the Rays were kind of all over the place after he went down. Uh, and then I went to a very dark, dark place with some of the guys I had on my team. I mean, I, I had Cole Sulcer. I don't know if you remember when he, he took the job for like a day in Miami and I picked him. I was like on a Sunday. I think it was like he had gotten a save and I spent a lot of money on him. And literally by the next afternoon, he was playing a game in cores and he came in and gave up in the eighth inning, no less, and gave up like five runs, you know, without getting in and out. So that was over very, the Cole Sulcer experience, I'll remember forever. Um, and then guys like Will Crow and Luis Garcia on the Padres. I mean, the list goes on and on. It was like, it was laughable. I used to, I was like DMing with people like, this is an absolute joke. Like yeah. everybody, I, I'm a mush. I, everybody I touch just like goes to shit. No, um, I hear you there. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll probably, I, I honestly don't think I'm going to take a much different approach. Like part of me is like, oh, you know, it just, it didn't work out this year, but I just can't stomach spending uh, too much on closers. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just stubborn. I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned closers because I do want to talk like more about pitchers here. Um, it's tricky, man. I know that we we've talked not not you and I, but just in the industry over this last month or so about was it worth it to pay up for closers? Was it worth it to spend those first couple of rounds worth of draft picks on guys? And I focus mostly on Yahoo leagues here. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at season totals for all relief pitchers. The number one, so let's just go through the rankings here. Classe and then Helsley, which was obviously a huge surprise. Edwin Diaz, uh, Daniel Bard, Romano, Sewold, Barlow, Devin Williams, Liam Hendricks. It's not exactly, and that's just in terms of how they are ranked according to Yahoo's algorithm. So it's not exactly, you know, cut and dry. You draft those guys early and those are the guys who are going to be the highest ranked closers. But in terms of the guys who are actually giving you saves, a lot of them are the early round guys. Classe, Jansen, Romano, Hayter, Hendricks, Bard, Rogers, Edwin Diaz, Presley. These guys are still, for the most part, barring something crazy happening year on year. When they go in with the closer role, I think they're likely to keep it unless there's something that goes on with like, you know, like an Aroldis Chapman kind of situation where they're just awful or Craig Kimbrell. But I feel like you almost have to pay up for saves. I feel like even for one guy, maybe maybe not both or, you know, it depends on how many closers you really like to have. I like to have three generally. Uh, it's the standard team, 10, 12, whatever. I like to have three closers. So maybe you pay up for one, you go one in the middle rounds, and then you speculate free agents later on. But I, I'm not so opposed to the two or maybe even three relatively early closer and just nail down those saves. Not that you always will hit necessarily, but I think for the most part, you're drafting a Hendricks and a Diaz and a whoever. You're, you're probably going to be okay, I think. But I, it's definitely something where it's up for interpretation and debate. Yeah, we'll we'll have a whole offseason to debate it. And, you know, I think this is another thing. I don't think there's a clear answer. Um, you know, there, there's so many different ways to win. So still not sure where I stand with all this, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I know we wanted to talk about, uh, pitching and, and some surprises there. So let's get into it. Yeah. I'd like not, not that we necessarily have to focus on anything in particular. I like to be a little more easygoing here, but I figured we'd take a look back on where, you know, the top ranked pitchers were being drafted 
versus where they've kind of generally ended. And I'm taking a look here on the NFC site, like you were mentioning, just at main events, all main events, no date specifications, just all main events. The number one pitcher drafted this year, do you know who it is off the top of your head without uh, taking a look, the highest ADP? Uh, I would imagine Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole at four, and then Corbin Burns at uh, 5.8. Garrett Cole, the highest-ranked pitcher off the board. Now, you're a Yankee guy. You probably watch more of Cole than the average person that you're going to talk to. Is he someone you'd be comfortable taking as the first pitcher off the board next year? Are you happy with the production he's given this year? He's got like a three five ERA roughly. It's I don't know. I think that's another one that's really up for debate. Would you would you take him? I mean, probably not at pick four next year, but would you take yeah. him as, as your first pitcher? Would you be comfortable with that? Um boy, that's a tough one. Uh you know, I gotta take the Yankee fandom because he's 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 been kind of brutal in some big spots uh for the Yankees this year. And I, I know the home runs can be fluky. Um I'm just trying to think of like who would be a better alternative. You know, McClanahan's kind of got the injuries now and it's, you know, he's a little shaky. Burns is not so hot finishing the season. Uh, Verlander's got the age. Um, I don't know. I mean, who else would you put up there? McClanahan and Burns are the only ones that I think you can make the argument for. Some people will say Alcantara. But I don't, I don't, I don't think, think he's I got could. the strikeouts, you know? Yeah, I don't think he could. And maybe, you know, some people might argue Julio Urias after two consecutive, just gorgeous seasons, even without really the strikeouts. I've seen mm-hmm. some people talking about pushing him up into that first tier of pitchers. Now, the first one off the board right now, I mean, Garrett Cole still leads the majors in strikeouts, I believe. It's just been the ratios down the stretch here have been a little bit poor. Yeah. But I don't know that, like you said, who else is going to really replace him? In my head, I think, like, no, he can't be the first pitcher. But he's fairly safe. I mean, pitching on the Yankees, a lot of strikeouts. Right. He's probably going to win anywhere from 12 to, call it, 17 games every every year. He's pretty safe. But uh, in terms of, like, where he ranks this year, just in terms of, like, Yahoo leagues, it wouldn't be that high, I don't think. Uh, I should have had it up earlier. Let's see. 54th. He's the 54th ranked player, not just pitchers, everybody. So mm-hmm. is it worth it in that first round? Would you pick him in the first? And I guess that's another question here that we'll, we'll spend months debating. Is it worth taking pitchers in the first round for you? I mean, in these high stakes leagues, the yeah. guys who had first round ADPs, Otani, <clears throat> excuse me, Burns and Cole. Those are the guys who are being drafted in the first round, assuming 12 teamers. Bueller was picked 13, Woodruff 13, and then that's about it. But would you go into next year wanting to take a pitcher in round one? Um, my approach, and this has kind of changed. Like I was more like, oh, you can't take a pitcher in the first round. Like a couple of years ago, that was what I was thinking. And now I've shifted more to, I want my pitchers early. You know, even if Cole, his ERA is probably a little inflated this year. He's probably gotten a little unlucky with the home runs, but man, those, the volume and the strikeouts, it gives you such an advantage. Um, you know, and you, you got to remember too, like, they account for like a higher percent, like a pitcher, a starting pitcher uh, accounts for more of like your overall scoring, right? Like they affect yeah. more categories. So, um, you know, and, and there's not as many, like there's more volume with hitters, right? So like there's, yeah. there's more opportunities to get those stats, but with pitchers, like if you get those horses up front, man, it gives you such an advantage. Like in my main event league, I took Corbin Burns in the first round. 
Um, and then I followed up with Aaron Nolan the third. And again, I've had a lot of misses on that team, but the stability of those two guys up top has really has at least kept me in contention. So I, I think it, this is a, a discussion like I, I, I think that differs if you're playing in a 12 team. You know, it's just a different format. Like if you're playing on Yahoo as opposed to like a 15 team NFBC. Personally, in those leagues, I think pitching early is the way to go. And if you listen to like some of the best players who've had success, uh, they would tell you the same thing. So that's, uh, that's how I see it. I'd be okay with paying up for pitching, but just in terms of next year, who is it going to be that I'm paying up for? Am I paying up for Verlander? Am I paying up for DeGrom and Scherzer, these guys who are older, who have a bunch of injuries under their belt at this point? There's, yeah. I don't yeah, know. But, I mean, obviously, the player pool, obviously, you have to, to factor in. So, it, no, it's a fair point. You know, it's um, there may be the gap between those top guys and the more like second tier guys may not be as wide as it has been in recent years. I, now, I hear you. I think that you might, there might, and we're still so early. There's no ADP data or anything, but I think that we might have those guys being overdrafted a little bit next year. And I've, I've talked about this on the show before. You kind of have to just trust guys like Scherzer, like, I mean, Kershaw's a little bit iffy, but when he's out there, he's, he's successful. Uh, Verlander, Kershaw, DeGrom, Scherzer, all these guys, if they're telling you they're healthy and they're pitching, you kind of have to just take them at face value and start them and they're, they're going to do well. I mean, Verlander is the number one ranked pitcher this season in terms of Yahoo, in terms of how they calculate their value. He's the number three overall player. Mm-hmm. That's going to inflate his draft price a little bit higher than it probably should be next year for Verlander. I think he's going to be fine. I think he'll, he'll do well if he goes out there. Like I said, you kind of have to just trust him. But there will be one of these seasons for all of these guys where they go out there and they just don't have it anymore. And paying up a first-round pick, especially let's say you're talking about a main event, you're investing almost $2,000. Justin Verlander is a very, very risky. Any of those guys are very risky first round picks, I think. And you might have some value waiting a little bit and going for your Manoas, your Zach Gallons, um, mm-hmm. you know, guys like that, maybe Max Freed, you know. So I, I, I might wait a little bit next year the more I think about it on pitching. Yeah. I mean, as far as like taking a Verlander, I can almost assure you he won't be on any of my teams. Um, you know, and I, I try to stay open minded about everybody in the pool, but it just at that age, you know, where he was going this season, that was the year, you know, like to take advantage. Uh, he, he was going like in the fourth, fifth round by the time main event season rolled around. And, uh, you know, if he's going in the second round next year, it's just that's just a rule of thumb for me, man. Like I'm not investing such high draft capital in, um, you know, in in players of that age. So. I hear you. It's uh, definitely we'll have a, a while to kind of think this through, but I, I definitely, you know, hear some of your um, hesitation about uh, about these guys up top. Um, yeah. Just real quick, quick uh, fun exercise here. I don't. You have the Yahoo rankings. I'm I'm playing uh, yeah. or I'm pulling up the Rasball Player Raider. Yeah. Uh, who are the top ten pitchers on the Player Raider this year? So top 10 in terms of Yahoo standard, this is five by five, uh, head to head category leagues. Verlander one, Urias two, Alcantara three, Gallon four, Cease five, Manoa six, Gonsolin seven, uh, Scherzer eight, McClanahan nine, and Emmanuel Classe at number 10. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I'm looking at Razball. The only, did you have, you didn't have Darvish on there? Darvish comes in at 11 right behind Classe. Okay. 
I feel like he's had low key, like really, you know, like I, I haven't really even thought about it. I didn't draft him anywhere, uh, which was silly. You know, I'm talking about this idea of like not taking the older guy super early. Well, he wasn't going that early, you know, um, and uh, he was uh, he obviously looks like he was a great pick. Uh, I have him at number five overall, according to this rating system. So just amazing what he's been doing. Um, I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of yeah. curious. Sorry. Just how does the top like five or seven or whatever look on the Rasball Raider? Pretty similar. Verlander, Urias, Alcantara, Cease, Darvish, Manoa, Gallen, McClanahan, Gonsolin, and then Otani, number 10. Okay. Otani's 13 here over on Yahoo. Darvish, for me, the thing that worried me earlier in the season specifically was the lack of strikeouts for the, that first month or so. A guy who's always been like a 30-plus percentage strikeout guy is suddenly striking out 21%, 22%, which is okay. But when you're coming down from that number, I thought he'd have a bit of trouble maintaining value. But, I mean, he's been he's been amazing. 16 wins, he's just about got his 200 strikeouts. Now, the strikeout numbers have recovered. They're still down a bit. But last season, that 422 ERA, you were able to draft him kind of late this year because of it. He's not the youngest guy, but he was able to have a great season. Another guy who, who knows, we might, I might worry a little bit about drafting him so high next season. I think yeah. he's ranked 27th right now on Yahoo in terms of everybody. I don't think I would draft him. I definitely wouldn't draft him at pick 27 next year. So you got to kind of weigh that balance of recent production versus age and a whole bunch of other factors. Right, right. I want to talk about a few other surprises and I, I did like categories for like, you know, like real life surprises and equated them to these, uh, to these pitchers from this past year. So, um, so one of the best surprises, like, you know, after you do your laundry, right. When you, when you put your hand in your pocket and you find like an old crumpled, you know, let's say $20 bill. Isn't that just amazing? You know, you're like, I, I can go get myself lunch or whatever, go out to the bar, get some drinks. Yeah. So let me equate that to, and I'm going to group these players. Um, okay. Tyler Anderson, Miles Michaelis, Martin Perez, and Merrill Kelly. They kind of all fit into a similar bucket for me. You know, they're that crumpled up $20 bill. That's just like, you know, that is just like magic that you found that, man. They're all kind of similar in a similar range here on the player raider. Um, you know, all these like kind of soft tossing, uh, command guys that really were going super late or guys who got off the wire. I got Martin Perez in the 48th round of a DC, wow. you know, and it was just because I'm like, well, when he faces Oakland, I'll, I'll at least start him there. Uh, but he's been great. Merrill Kelly, what are your thoughts on, on these guys, just on the season that they've had? And, you know, uh, just, again, we've got a lot of time to prepare, but just initial thoughts on their outlooks for, for next year. First of all, I really appreciate you coming. So I remember seeing you on bench with Bubba, and you came so prepared. And I love that because you take the responsibility right out of my hands here. I just kind of relax, and you, you take over. <laughs> I, I love it. In terms of these guys, now, Nick Pollock and, and maybe Alex Fast as well have word for these pitchers who go for one season or even part of a year. And I think it's the Vargas rule they refer to it as mm-hmm. referencing Jason Vargas of just one year or part of a year where you just are unconscious, just brilliant. And then it'll probably fall off at some point. And I think we're going to go into next year and guys like Miles Michaelis, who's just about logged 200 innings this year of good ball. Martin Perez and Merrill Kelly and these guys, they're going to be drafted probably, you know, people are going to be expecting, especially in your standard, like home leagues, people who don't dig into the information as much are going to say, Martin Perez was fantastic, all-star worthy season. 
I'm going to use a top 100 pick on him. I think we're going to be probably disappointed if we start to take these guys that high up next season. I, I mm-hmm. understand it, but I don't know that there's tons of sustainability in, in what we've seen here. Martin Perez, his control has been great. His changeup has been wonderful. But can he really keep this up? He's never really had a fantasy-relevant season, and he's now 31 years old, I think, 30, 31, 32 in that range. Now he's just a good pitcher going forward. I, I'm I'm a bit of a skeptic in terms of yeah. all these guys who just kind of came out of nowhere and had a great year this year. But what, what are you thinking on that? Yeah, you know, as far as, like, their outlook or, you know, what their price may be, uh, I think we've gotten so smart as an industry. So if, if Martin Perez had this season 10 years ago, yeah, he'd probably be going fairly high next year. Um, but now I, I think most people are like, oh, Martin Perez, like that was a fluke. So um, I think it'll probably still be a reasonable price. Will I buy into it? Probably not. You know, it just, I don't know. Sometimes these guys, like you said, they just go on a run and it all works. And, you know, I just don't want to be left holding the bag. Uh, so specific, like Martin Perez definitely wouldn't be a guy I buy into. Um Miles Michaelis, man, he pisses me the hell off. Like him in that, I don't know if you've seen, like, you know, I just can't help but tweet about him and his big dumb mustache and his big dumb <laughs> cowboy hat. Drives me insane. Like I, I can't stand the Cardinals in general. And I know people are like, oh, you're a Yankee fan, you know, like, uh, who are you to talk? But like, man, the Cardinals just annoy. They just churn out these guys that like to me, like the Cardinals shouldn't be good, you know, like for years. I, I, I guess maybe that's it, but they just like, they bring up these guys and they just, you know, they just always perform. And I had no Michaelis. I'm like, I had a lot of Michaelis the year. So I had him in 2021 and then he got injured. And I'm like, oh, the guy pitched like 40 innings last year. Like, how long yeah. is he going to last for? Well, apparently 200 innings of like innings. amazing pitching. Uh, so I totally missed on him. And I just get so jealous every time I see that he's pitching well. One guy I wasn't on was Tyler Anderson. I tweeted that shit out like the first week of the season because I remember in spring training, he had a good uh, strikeout to walk ratio, like a really good strikeout to walk ratio. And I'm like, we should pay attention to this because of that and because he's on the Dodgers. And uh, man, I, I think he's like number 20 overall for starting pitchers uh, on the player Raiders. So, I mean, he's been a godsend. I, I, I think just one takeaway, when you look at Tyler Anderson and Tony Gonsolin, you know, even Michaelis, like, you just if you're going to take a chance on these guys um probably should just take a chance on a guy on a good team right exactly uh, so a guy in the dodgers you know i mean it's just there's such you're like swimming with the current right when when you're on a good team um and then merrill kelly uh, i just i don't know i i just i don't know what what the heck happened i know he pitched well in spring training i know people poo poo spring training like oh you know why you pay attention to that there's some signal there People, there is signals. So next year, pay attention to those guys, specifically the K to walk ratio. Don't worry about the ERA or WHIP. You know, it's such a small sample. But when you see guys that come out and are, and you know they have a much better like K to walk ratio than they normally do, pay attention to that. I think you're really wise to group all these guys together because they're all so similar, and I, I really do worry that. And I, like you said, the industry as a whole is very smart. NFBC players, if you're playing in a platinum league or you're playing in a main event, anything where you got to put significant dough on the line to play, I don't think you're going to be drafting these guys too high up. But 
your standard, you know, 10 and 12 team home leagues, ESPN, Yahoo, CBS. I feel like the average person might go and overdraft these guys, which is why I'm going to say it probably throughout the offseason to be very careful about chasing last year's production, especially, especially with pitchers. And I know yeah. <sighs> pitching dries up. Pitching is very hard to find on the waiver wire. Most of the questions that I get on Twitter are about pitching. And if you just, you know, hypothetically you deal with pitching early enough in a draft you don't have to worry about picking guys up so much down the line so i do think drafting pitching early is is wise but i think you got to be very careful with who you draft go for upside but also go for floor you got to have a balance for me i'm a very balanced low risk kind of fantasy player i'm gonna have no verlander next year i'm gonna have no kershaw i'm gonna have no Degrom because i'm assuming the prices is going to be just too high I'd really like to aim for these guys who are currently in that like 20 ish starting pitcher range. Cause it's very deep and there's a lot of young guys coming up too, that I feel very confident about. And I mean, I was going to do this a little bit later on, but I guess we could do it right now. Uh, the young guys that I'm kind of keeping an eye on for next year, Josiah Gray, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, uh, Justin Steele. I feel like there's a lot of value in these guys who are going to be going fairly late in drafts that are flying a little bit under the radar is there anybody that's going to be, you think, kind of an afterthought next year that you're going to be, you know, drafted on every team kind of thing? Anybody that's maybe, you know, post 200 rounds or, or post 200 pick somewhere in that kind of range that you're really looking into? Um, well, these guys aren't going to be going post 200, but I just want to echo what you said about Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. I actually wrote them down because uh, you'd put this on the sheet about like, you know, some, these, again, these aren't sleepers anymore. Yeah. People are going to be aggressive with them. But I, I think the injuries for Hunter Green and like the time he missed, I think is going to drive down his price a little lower than it should be. Like we're seeing the upside now, you know, and, and people, let's be honest, like people check out around September, you know, they move on to football if they're out of contention. And I think people may miss how dominant. He's been, I mean, it's, I, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but he's been filthy this past month. He's like the kind of guy, I think of him kind of like, almost like a Dylan Cease from this past year. Like, yeah, there's some question marks, but the strikeout stuff is so good. You know, he's got the pedigree. Yeah, we'd like him to be on a better team in a, in a more pitcher-friendly ballpark. But when you're striking out that many guys, it doesn't matter. I think this past month, it's been like a 40% K rate. Um, so I think he's a guy that probably, uh, he'll get helium as we get closer to draft season. But if you're doing some early drafts, I think you can get a pretty reasonable price on a guy like that. And Nick Lodolo, you know, um, another guy, not a secret, but dude's been crushing, uh, this past, uh, past couple months here. So definitely got to watch, uh, post 200. Yeah. I mean, one guy that I'm paying attention to, um, is uh Luis Ortiz on the Pirates. I mean, he's like his uh I know in the stuff model that, you know, Saris um puts out there, like he was scoring really high on that and he showed some good skills here. Um you know, the Pirates were not <laughs> that confident in their ability to develop pitching, but I think he's a young pitcher that we should definitely uh be paying attention to here. And again, not a, a post 200 guy, but another guy whose performance may be a little bit obscured by injuries, I think is John Gray. Um, you know, I, I, I think when he's pitched, he's been really good and getting out of Colorado, uh, looks like it was a huge plus for him. So he's going to be a guy. He'll probably fall in like that early 100s, maybe 150. 
uh, if I had to guess, and I think the skills would, you know, uh, warrant something, you know, like he's going to be better than that. Yeah, that 200 number was just, you know, kind of just a random yeah. point there. But John Gray, you know, if he'd never got hurt, I guess that was around the trade deadline. Uh, his oblique, I believe, gave out on him. If that never happened, he was trending very much upwards. He would have probably played himself into a top 100 draft pick. Now he's going to be someone, even if it's a round or two later, you could probably get yourself and he's you know he had a very solid season a 364 era and even that's not really you know accurate because early in the year he was really not great he really settled down june july and i think that's a, that's a great call the strikeouts are going to be there the team is actually pretty damn okay texas like they're not Again, great better. yeah they're not great but like Semyon garcia nate lau um, who am I missing there? Jesus, Corey Seeker. Like they're they got a Josh good Young, little lineup. Yeah. Josh Young. They're going to be a pretty decent little team there. To touch back on Lodolo and Green for a second too. I saw someone talk about this the other day. The Reds really don't have much going on. They have India, and I think Lodolo and Green through the next three or four years. And I saw somebody on Twitter. I forget who it was. Matt Williams or somebody. I don't. I don't even know who it was. They said that if the Reds are not going to be serious about building around these guys for the next three years, because odds of them re-signing in Cincinnati are probably pretty low, mm-hmm. it might just make sense to deal them. And if those guys get dealt out of Cincinnati, away from that ballpark, oh my God, I'm drafting them as high as I can get them, especially Hunter Green, especially both of them, really. I mean, yeah. take your Both pick. of them are studs. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm very, and Josiah Gray as well. I think he's in the same kind of mold as Hunter Green. Too many walks, too many home runs, but... Yeah. You know, a guy who we have to remember was traded for uh, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. So the, the fact that they gave up those guys for Gray, I know Kybert Ruiz was in that deal as well. But I think even that alone there should tell you, like, this guy's special. The strikeout numbers can be very, very high with him. Mm-hmm. Even another year to settle into the big leagues. And Josiah Gray is another guy I think will be going probably too late next season. And I'm going to be scooping up a hell of a lot of all those guys that we just talked about. Right. Can I give you another good surprise? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, that's helped me here. Um, so this good surprise. Now, I, I love French fries. It's one of my favorite foods, as I know it is for many people. One of the greatest joys for me in life is when I go to McDonald's or Wendy's, get a get a French fry, and I finish what's in the carton. You know, I don't take the carton out of the bag, but I finish what's in the carton. And then I realized there's a couple extra fries on the bottom. And I feel like bag fries like taste extra good. I, I don't know. Do you, are you with me on that or am I? I am like, totally with you. I wish you could just order bag fries instead of ordering a whole serving of fries just to eat. Seriously, the they're better. On the drive they're home, better. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and five, do you have five guys up in Canada? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like their fries, their bag fries are just out of this world. They, overload, anyway, they overload the fries. They, they give you all it. the fries. Yeah, just get a regular so you don't need a large because yeah, they exactly. give you enough to feed like three people. But anyway, <laughs> my back fry is Tristan McKenzie. And I like this analogy of for a few different reasons because that's his body type, right? He has the body type of a French fry. <laughs> but uh, uh, also, you know, he's kind of equivalent to that because he may seem like a good idea for next year. Like you look at the surface numbers, ERA, the whip are fantastic. Uh, but over the long term, you got too many fries and you have too much Tristan McKenzie. It's going to have a negative impact on your health. I'm telling you right now, those those surface numbers are not I, I, I still I don't fully buy into them. Um, the ERA indicators, if you look at his XFIP, his Sierra, all that good stuff, uh, you know, they're still not terrible. But 
They're definitely higher than the numbers that he's putting up now. He's a good pitcher, but I think the price that he's going to go for is going to, you know, um, it's going to be too expensive. What are your thoughts? See, I put out a tweet and I could go through and maybe try to find it, but I won't worry about it. And it was a couple of months back and I said, Tristan McKenzie, exactly the same sentiments you were talking about. The expected stats are much better or much worse than the actual stats. He's leaving a lot of runners on base, low Babbitt. I thought we were going to see a horrible second half from him, and I, I was wrong there. I will admittedly say I was wrong. He's been great. The ERA is under three. He's striking out a batter per inning, which is, I mean, I thought we'd see a few more strikeouts from him, not quite as many as we could have hoped maybe. Uh, I thought he'd be like a 10 strikeout per nine guy. He's been about nine, which is not the end of the world, but he's been fairly lucky. That's the thing. Uh, his BABIP is 236. He's leaving over 80% of runners on base, which are both yeah. kind of skewed out of whack there. Yeah. And I think next year you're completely correct. He's going to be drafted, if I had to say right now, ADP, maybe 50, 60, roughly in that range. Maybe I'm off a little bit. But I think roughly we're going to see him go in that kind of range. And I don't yeah. think we'll return it. I think a lot of people, and rightfully so, buy into Cleveland's organization, how they develop pitching. They they are very good developing their pitchers. And maybe they can work on some things with McKenzie, get the strikeouts back up or whatever. So I wouldn't say I'm necessarily like out on him altogether. But at the price where he's likely to cost next year, I think you're right. He's going to be probably not living up to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I had to guess, I, I, I think he's more like 75 to a hundred and kind of that range where like Trevor Rogers and McClanahan were going this year. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't feel like he carries that kind of upside. Um, you know, so he's, he's someone that I'll, I'll definitely, uh, I'll be out on. Um, let me give you a bad surprise and let me give you a scenario that's just like a nightmare. Okay. Um, let's say you're out, you know, and, Let's say you go to like a Mexican restaurant or let's say you even go like it's more likely to happen like Taco Bell or, you know, like let's say you have some Taco Bell and all of a sudden it ain't hitting your stomach right and you got to run to the bathroom. All right. So you get on the can and you just you do what you got to do and then you look to your right. You see there's no toilet paper. I mean, that's like the that's just an awful, awful surprise. Like you're stuck at that point. Right. And to me. That's Lucas Giolito this year. I mean, he is just, you know, like having the runs with no toilet paper because, <laughs> I mean, you're just stuck. Like, what are you going to do? You're in the restaurant. You can't do anything. And it was the same thing with Giolito. You took him in the third round. Like, you're not going to drop him and you're not going to bench him. Like, do you have better options? So you were stuck just taking that five ERA. I mean, the numbers just, I, I couldn't even believe it. I only had him in one spot and I wasn't even really paying attention. I couldn't believe when I saw how bad his season was. 5.05 ERA, a 1.48 whip. I mean, that is just, that's brutal. That, that, that's a type of thing that can absolutely sink your team. I mean, you'd rather he get, obviously you're not rooting for injury, but like you'd be better off if he just got injured for the year and yeah. you weren't taking those stats all season. That's Did you have any Giolito? I had no Giolito, thank Christ. I don't know how I avoided it. I think maybe because the price was a little bit too high, going second or third round for me. If I'm going to take a pitcher there, it's going to be one of those, you know, big name guys more so than Giolito. I would have gone with, you know, a DeGrom given the time of draft or somebody like Scherzer. I, if I'm going to take a pitcher in the first couple rounds, Burns, Cole, one of those guys, Giolito, eh, you know, even last year, 3 5 ERA, he's good, but. And not to say that I was expecting this. This has been awful, but it's that, it's that, like you said, the sunk cost fallacy of 
I spent such a high draft pick on this guy. I need to hold on and start him. He's still 88% rostered in Yahoo leagues. Yeah. Probably most people are starting him. His rank yeah. is outside of the top 1,000 in terms of total <laughs> value, 1,015. If you're talking on a per-game basis, it's actually even worse, 1,100. But you're holding on to him simply because of where you drafted him, and that's something that I got to work on a little bit. After Alberto Modesty went down, I kind of just left him on the aisle there for a couple of weeks, kind of just maybe just to think about what I had done, drafted him, just forced myself to look at him on my roster. But eventually, you, you got yeah. Yeah, to cut him. I mean, he got injured. It's a little bit different. But you might as well have been injured with Giolito. He's injuring your team every single week. And I got to remember next year to do that more so than I have in the past. Get rid of yeah, these guys. I mean, I hear you. That that is like such an important skill is like to know when to cut bait on these guys. But I in that situation, man, it's tough. You know, like you're gonna yeah. keep. And then he kept like having good matchups. You're like, oh, okay, you know, he's starting against Kansas City now, or he's starting against Detroit. Like, I can't. I have to play him, right? And it just like he it just never happened. It, it was just that. That's the type of thing. Like, I don't think you you just. It's just you sunk. It sunk your team, man. There's just nothing you could do. I like him okay. I just don't think he's in that same, especially not now. That same kind of elite tier. Yeah, the White Sox. I think he'll be a buy next year. To be honest with you, oh. I mean, if you look, the underlying numbers just they're a lot better than what the surface numbers showed, and uh, you know, and a lot of people are, especially the ones that had him on the roster, they're not even going to consider him. You know, it's gonna. That's going to give him diarrhea just to think about drafting Giolito. So, you know, I, I feel like he's going to be the price will be decent uh, going into next year. Yeah, we got to give a mulligan, I think, <clears throat> pretty much to everybody on the White Sox. Yeah, something with that team is just all effed up, man. Yeah, like, give him a do over. Give him yeah. all a do over. I'm not even except sure for who, Dylan Cease. Except for Dylan Cease. He'll absolutely take uh, what Dylan Cease has given you this season. I mean, maybe we didn't really mention him earlier, but. You can make an argument possibly to take him as your first pick next season. Uh, I, you know, pitcher. I thought about, yeah. Yeah, that- I, I think that's, you know, he's going to be probably an early second rounder. And I, I could see, because for the exact reasons we were saying, like, you look at the other guys and you don't feel great about them. So I could see late, late first round Dylan Cease by the time we really get into draft season next year. We actually got a question that is related to Dylan Cease. So might yeah. as well just touch on it now. A friend of the show, Joe G, over on Twitter. He, he's got a question here, a keeper question. I'm not the biggest keeper player, but I do have a, an opinion on this one. So he mm-hmm. says, who would you keep for next year? 12 teams, 6 by 6 Roto. He keep one pitcher and one hitter from last year's draft spot. So he can take Sandy Alcantara, round 11, only keep for one season. Or he can take Dylan Cease in round 5, and you can keep him for two seasons. Now, for me... I'm taking Dylan Cease round five. Pick sixty still feels like a it's a it's a massive discount. Two seasons of Cease, even if it was only one season of Cease versus one season of Alcantara, I might just take the one year of Cease. But you get that extra season. You drafted him a couple rounds earlier, but I'm, I'm taking Cease there. What about you? I spent my whole night thinking about this question, Joe. So uh, <laughs> just uh, <laughs> and I still don't have a great answer for you. Um, to be honest, I I probably would take Alcantara. Really? Okay. Um, the 11th round. I mean, you just never, like with pitchers, you just don't know, you know, and, and yeah. I'm all for living in the now. So give me, give me 11th round, Sandy. Um, I mean, that's, that's just a tremendous. I mean, he's probably going to be, he definitely will be, um, you know, top 25 pick next year. So, 
I'd, I'd rather have him for that one year. I just worry about, and I know this is not the most original take, but he just needs so much volume to really accumulate those strikeouts. The team sucks. I mean, maybe they'll get a bit better, but wins are kind of hit and miss. We saw last year with Trevor Rogers. He had like seven wins after throwing 140 great innings for the team. This year hasn't been so, so much of a worry for Alcantara, but I think with Cease, I just, I personally am such a strikeout guy. I go for strikeouts mm-hmm. when I draft. I'm never going to be drafting guys like a Marco Gonzalez right, or, right. or guys of that ilk who just don't really give you case. So I, I see a guy like Cease in round five, pick 60. I, I think it's probably the second year that really does it for me. And I don't think you're yeah. necessarily going wrong either way. Either way, I think but, it, it's a coin flip. You but, know, I know. And that's kind of, I mean, we're not really helping you out here. We both have, we both have different opinions on this. At the end of the day, it's another thing that I've talked about recently. You can't be, um, just fully expecting other people as much as I love to help. And I'm sure you do to answer people's questions. These people, you got to make the decisions for yourself at the end of the day. You know, if I tell you to start player A over player B, player A shits the bed for you and loses the season. Uh, if it was me personally, I'd rather make that decision and have the final say be myself rather than say, Torres told me to start this guy. He got killed. Yeah. Well, that, that's the worst kind of Twitter. And I know Joe, yeah. you know, I've talked with Joe. Joe's, Joe ain't that dude. But, no, uh, you know, like other, you, you see that on Twitter. And I think that's more like the football space. I mean, yeah. you got some real toxic <laughs> some people toxic in that Twitter. space. It's just, it's so, yeah, it's toxic, man. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't see that as much in, in baseball, but that's just, yeah, that's the worst. I, I would just say go with the gut. Go with yeah. your gut. Uh, you can't really go necessarily wrong either way here. Now, Mike Carter also has a question. I think it's more tongue-in-cheek here for you. What team has the most obnoxious fans in baseball? He's directed this one right at you. He says, Torres knows. We'll give you the floor here. Do I? I don't. <laughs> I mean, I guess he's expecting me to say the Yankees. Uh, I would assume so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he's probably right. Um, let me think. It's uh, right up there, anyway. It's right up there, you know. <laughs> um, Yankees or Boston, probably. You know, we're the two most visible, loudest fan groups. But yeah, when you think obnoxious, I, I think you're more likely to to think of new york i mean we had a uh opposing player jump into our stands you know remember miles straw was like ready to fight that dude in yeah. yankee stadium you know yeah. um you know so yeah we live up to our reputation the game i was at the other day it's like i was in the bleachers and you know that's where it gets rowdiest and uh you know some yeah. guy was like looking up like tommy fans like twin sister and like like talking crap about it. you know it's just like it's crazy stuff that happens in uh, new york yeah. so uh yeah we're the most obnoxious i try and I, I try not to uh fit into that stereotype but uh anyway you brought up mike carter so it's a good segue for me to talk about um perfect yeah yeah and i know uh, i'm not just bringing this up i know you're gonna ask me about it uh oh, yeah. so starting um we're gonna be starting a podcast over at triple play fantasy network uh, myself mike carter and carlos marcano want to drop a plug for that because um it's really excited uh going to be starting up it's called the fantasy baseball beat and the main premise is that we're going to be interviewing beat writers and other people close to the team uh maybe like an announcer or you know somebody who just has a different perspective on each team and hoping to you know ask questions more from a fantasy angle so really we want to get our listeners information that they're not getting um, in other places. 
you know, and, and we recognize that, listen, like the beat writers, like, yeah, they may have a certain perspective and they don't know everything. They don't have all the answers, but we think it could be interesting just to get that different perspective from outside of fantasy Twitter or, you know, like the traditional stuff. So, um, yeah, that is the plan for the offseason. We're going to try to get a, a beat writer for each team. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're really excited for this, working with some really great people over there at Triple Play and Carlos and Mike. So check it out. Uh, put it, subscribe. It's in, uh, it's under Triple Play Fantasy Baseball and wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, yeah, thanks for giving me a, a second to, uh, to shout that out. No, no worries. I was going to give you the floor here in a second. Anyway, Triple Play. One of the best places in the business. I've made some friends over there, Britt and Allen, Marty Tallman, uh, David yeah. Mendelson, of course. And now we've got you guys jumping into the fold there. The three amigos going to be doing a fantastic job. Mike Carter's been on the show a couple times. He's a friend. Uh, Mar- Carlos Marcano, I've talked on Twitter a little bit here and there. Been meaning to bring him on. He'll be on the show at some point. Uh, just a great, a great trio. You seem like you're going to be kind of leading the way over there a little bit in terms of the hosting duties, or is it going to rotate around? How do you guys plan on doing that kind of thing? Yeah, um, right now I think I'm going to be, I, we're going to rotate, but, uh, you know, I think as of right now, I'm going to be taking more of the lead with that. Um, but it, it's just, you know, I, I think everybody's going to contribute equally. And, uh, again, we, we got a great crew over there. So excited about that. Yeah, it should be, it should be a lot of fun, uh, in terms of bringing on beat writers. Like they have a whole different view of it. Fantasy Twitter has their own opinions, which are skewed by, what you need from your own players and everything else. The beat writers, they're right there with the team. They know what's going on. That'll be really key, I think, for closer kind of moves, uh, bullpen situations, especially, you know. Uh, yeah, and even, like, the off-season stuff, like, as we prepare and, like, these DCs, like, um, you know, these draft and hold leagues, um, you know, you kind of have to think ahead about who might get called up or, you know, moves that might be made. And we're hoping that we could help people prepare in that way. You know, and also, like, we also talked about getting on players, you know, and I, that may be a little bit farther off, but, uh, you know, and I don't think we're going to be getting uh, Aaron judge, but you know, if we could get like the 25th guy in the team, you know, uh, just to get a different perspective, like I'm, I'm just always interested in hearing player stories and it's just, I, I find it fascinating. So that'll be hopefully something we can uh, incorporate as well. No, that sounds like a lot of fun, man. Triple Play, you guys should already be subscribing to the Triple Play podcast feed, but if you're not, then please do go ahead and check that one out. Is there anything else you've got going on in terms of written written content or anything else that you're that you're doing you want people to know about? Uh, not right now. I'm still trying to figure out what the plan is for the off season. Trying to not take on too much, um, you know, and be intentional about what I'm doing. Uh, and want to be able to give a hundred percent. So right now the, the podcast is going to be the focus. Um, maybe doing some written stuff and doing like some video stuff like I was doing during the season. So that would be, uh, the extent of it for me. But, uh, yeah, just want to say thank you for having me on. I just want to shout you out too, because, you know, I was telling you off air, I have a, a lot of respect for what, what you're doing. Like you jumped into this space and, you know, you just, you dove head first and, I think you're going places, dude. I ain't just smoke, blowing smoke up your ass. Like I, I think you've got natural ability. Like you just, I remember when I heard you for the first time, I'm like, damn, this guy, like he's got a good voice. He's like control, like he's prepared. Uh, and then you put it in the work. So when you put in the ability with the work ethic, uh, good things are going to happen. So, uh, you know, excited to see where, where you head here in this industry. 
I really appreciate that, man. You are one of the best follows over on Twitter. You are somebody that I've looked up to. I'm glad I finally got you on. I'm sorry it took this long. If you guys are not following Torres already, at Torres Takes on Twitter, you get hilarious little bits of you know video and information. Right now, if you go look at his pinned tweet, he's got his morning routine here, which <laughs> you just got to go take a look at it yourself. Just go check out at Torres Takes on Twitter. I'm sure most of you are already following Go check out the Triple Play podcast feed and check out the Fantasy Baseball beat. Torres, Carlos Marcano, Mike Carter, that should be a hell of a lot of fun. And while we got you here, if you're listening to this show, download, subscribe, do all that stuff. Go follow over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and at EthosFantasyBB. Specifically, focus on that EthosFantasyBB account. That is my baby. We're trying to grow that one up throughout this offseason here. As we bring on more people to produce content, that is where the content will be uh, sent out from. So please do go check us out there. Torres, man, any final uh, remarks here before I let you go? That is it. Good luck. If anybody who's still, you know, who's battling it out in this last week here, good luck to you. And uh, thank you for listening. Absolutely. As we head into this final weekend, best of luck in the world, everybody. We'll see you again next time. Cheers. Cheers.